Father, as we open up your word, we ask that you would open up our hearts and hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. I pray that the seed of your word would fall on good ground and bear fruit in the lives of your people. That God, I do not account my life as anything valuable nor precious to myself. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task you've given me, the task of testifying to the good news of the gospel. Lord, would you get your glory in this place? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let the church of the living God say amen. Uh, well, sometime in the 1940s, a middle-aged man walked up the steps to the doors of a church in Brooklyn. The door opened and he encountered the pastor of that church. He went on to say to the pastor, look, I know you're busy. I know you've got a book schedule, but I'm not here to meet with you. I, I just need a favor. Can I just sit in your sanctuary for a little while? I just need to be a, alone with God. Now, it was obvious to the pastor that this man uh, had a heavy heart. He was stressed out about something. He looked as if the weight of the world's was, world was on his shoulders, and in a sense, it was. So as he sat down, he knew he needed to kneel before God because the decision he had to make involved him having to take an unpopular stance that would no doubt upset others. This decision was difficult because it could cause him to be blacklisted by his peers, or worse, he could even be banned from his entire industry. But he knew that on the other side, this decision could be history in the making. And so knowing he needed God's courage, he spent time in prayer, asking God to help him move forward on his convictions. After praying and listening to God for hours, he, he got up, put his hat on his head, walked out. A couple weeks later, that same man, a man by the name of Branch Rickey, would sign the great Jackie Robinson to the Brooklyn Dodgers, the first African-American man to play in the modern major leagues. My point is this, that momentous, historic, and barrier-breaking moment, family, doesn't happen if Branch Rickey doesn't display one thing, courage. The word courage assumes the Christian life will have its challenges. It assumes that we, to be a believer is to always be in a battle. It assumes that in this life there will be obstacles to overcome. Even Jesus said in this world we will have trouble but take heart because he has overcome the world. Part of his point is that the Christian life is, will be full of obstacles that only he can give us the courage to overcome. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King says. He says that uh, courage is the willingness to go forward despite obstacles. But it's not just the words of Dr. Martin Luther King. All throughout scripture, we see uh, biblical characters and stories where people needed courage. Because there's always a Red Sea or a Jordan River to cross over. There's always a Goliath that needs to fall. There's always a Jericho wall that needs to come down. Even Jesus reminds us that we all got a cross that needs to be carried. And so like Branch Rickey, all of us will face defining moments in our lives as believers where we have to have courage, where we have to choose fear, faith over fear, where we have to choose pleasing God over pleasing people. We have to choose between serving our comfort and convenience or the sacrificial Christ-like courage that it takes to make a difference in the world for God's glory and the good of others. But what does God's word have to say about this theme called courage? Um, and how does God's presence with us give us the courage we need to cross over whatever Jordan River we may face in this life? Um, that said, I want to talk to you today about a defining moment in the life of a man named Joshua, as the scripture was just read in Joshua 1, verse 9. If you like titles, I want to tag this message, Courage to Crossover. Courage to Crossover. The backdrop of Joshua chapter 1 is this. It can be stated basically in three words. First word is disobedience. God had delivered his people from the Egyptians in the crossing of the Red Sea under Moses. In their journey 
to the promised land was supposed to be less than 40 days, but now it's 40 years later and they're still meandering in the wilderness. In short, the generation before were set free from physical bondage, but never got to enjoy the land of promise, right? Um, because they chose fear over faith and disobedience over a determination, right, to take that which God says was, the, was theirs. The story is recorded in Numbers 13. Moses sends 12 spies to peep the promised land. Two of them came back with a faith report. Uh, uh, the other 10 came back with a fear report. God's people listened to the fear report, disobeyed his commands, and in doing so, it cost them 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. If I could just have a quick pastoral parenthetic pause, a refusal to claim the promises of God by faith can be costly, brothers and sisters. Disobedience, but then there's death. Our text opens up with God saying to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, this great leader, this great pillar of the faith has died. This was Joshua's mentor, his boy, his, his leader, his friend, and now he is gone. See, Joshua knows what it's like to be a warrior in battle, but now he's weeping because he had to help bury his mentor. In other words, verse 1 helps us see the emotional context here. Joshua and God's people are coming out of a season of death, sorrow, sadness, and so it is with us in the COVID crisis. As Joshua and God's people were, were trying to cross over despite a season of grieving, a lot of us are still fighting for courage to cross over despite the lingering effects of COVID. Many of you lost family members. You lost jobs. You lost relationships. At times, pervasive injustice in our world maybe caused you to lose hope. Some of you may have even lost your mind. <laughs> I know I did a couple times. <laughs> For many of you, your spiritual and emotional equilibrium is still out of whack. You've been rocked by this, making it difficult for you to cross whatever Jordan rivers come your way. This is why we need God's comfort. And know how the Lord starts by acknowledging the death of Moses and comforting Joshua. In other words, before he calls Joshua to go, he comforts him in his grief. Don't miss that. Before he calls Joshua to go, he comforts him in his grief. That's crucial here, family. The order is important. God didn't promote an unhealthy suppression of grief and pain. No, he met Joshua and his people in the midst of their pain. In other words, before empowering them to take the land, he gave them time to lament and just shed some tears as human beings. Deuteronomy chapter 34 records that they, they didn't just rush through the grieving process. They actually spent 30 days mourning the memory of their beloved Moses together. God gave them the space to grieve and lament before courageously launching them to into the land of promise. So spiritual disobedience compounded by emotional exhaustion is a good recipe, I would say, for this third deed, discouragement. After God comforts Joshua in his grief, he calls him to arise and go. There's two million plus people who need a courageous leader to cross them over from wilderness to promise, and God says, Joshua, I'm calling your number. But here's the problem. Just like many of us, Joshua felt too inadequate for the task. Have you ever been there, family? He felt too weak and discouraged to lead God's people into the land of promise. We know this because over and over and over throughout this particular passage, God tells him to not be discouraged. And I just want you to see how the Lord breathes courage back into Joshua through this passage. My prayer is that you, if you came, or maybe you came to church, but your courage didn't come with you. I wanna, my prayer is that God would use this text to breathe courage back in you today. Somebody say amen to that. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about in this text is I want to talk about the frustrators of courage. 
Because as we try to live courageous life, there are things that could frustrate your courage and, um, and hinder you from walking out in faith-filled courage. Verses 1 through 2, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am given to them, to the people of Israel. I want to draw your attention to those first two little words, arise and go. These are not cute suggestions for Joshua to consider. These are clear-cut commands for him to obey, right? Joshua, I have comforted you in your grief, God is saying, but now I am calling you to get up, arise, and go. It's time to cross over. Now, understand, humanly speaking, this was an impossible task. Historians tell us that the crossover was happening during the rain season, which meant that, 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 that it complicated the crossing. Not to mention the logistical nightmare leading two million plus people over a large body of water. On top of that, they're still grieving the loss of Moses. On top of that, it, they're going into the land of blessing, but the land of blessing is also a place of battle because they're enemies over there. In other words, you know, the Canaanites not just going to sign over the deeds to the land, <laughs> right? Right? That's not what's about to happen. Claiming God's gift of promise will involve preparing for combat. This was the difficult and impossible situation by which Joshua and God's people are called to cross over. They're called to do something, right? That they don't have the resources, the emotional energy, the grit and strength in and of themselves to do. And so it is with us, family. To be a Christian is to understand that sometimes God will place us in situations and circumstances that are impossible for us to accomplish in and of our own strength. Sometimes we will be faced with challenges and our bank accounts will not be able to help us. All the degrees behind our names won't be able to help us. Even if you're a teenager and you're here today, sometimes you're going to go through stuff when your mama and your daddy ain't going to be able to help you. And the only thing you're going to be able to do is look to the Lord and say, look to the Lord from the hills from what's come of your help, knowing that all of your help ultimately comes from the Lord. That's what David said. In other words, we have to acknowledge that we can't rely on self-help or the foolishness of our own self-sufficiency. We can't get by trying to control outcomes in our own strength. No, we have to confess that crossing whatever Jordan we face in this life will require us to relinquish this illusion of control as we look to God alone for help. That's actually the first frustrator of courage, family. It's this illusion of control. Write this down. You can't be a control freak and live a life of courageous faith at the same time. You can't be a control freak and live a life of courageous faith at the same time. You see, at some point, Joshua had to acknowledge that this task was beyond his ability to accomplish. He, he, he had to acknowledge that this task was, was beyond his capacity to control. Listen, while Joshua, a trained warrior, knows how to war against the external enemies, crossing the Jordan will require him to deal with an internal enemy, his illusion for control. And so it is with us. Church, where might God be challenging you to relinquish the idol of control in your heart today? Where do you need to relinquish the idol of control? I don't know about you, but I know. <laughs> for me, uh, one of the areas for me is a struggle is as a parent. You know, God tells us that he has made us in his image and likeness, and sometimes I want to make my kids in my own image and likeness. So I got to give that control back over. Where, 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 where do you need to relinquish control today? You have to let it go because you can't be a control freak and live a life of courageous faith at the same time. Like Joshua, we have to relinquish control and rely on God in the crossover season. By faith, we must acknowledge the gaps between where we are and what God is calling us to do, then trust that God will fill in those gaps as we trust him to do what only he can do. Amen? And so the first frustrator of courage is, uh, first frustrator of courage 
Here's the second question there, crippling fears. Uh, uh, you, you've heard it said that courage is not the absence of fear, and I agree with that, but I want to push it a little further. Write this down. You can't live with crippling fears and courageous faith at the same time. <laughs> you can't live with crippling fears and courageous faith. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The mere fact, right, that God has to command Joshua to not be afraid is evidence that he is afraid. The word here for fear is deeper than just the, the normal feeling of fear. This speaks of a dreadful, a, a dominating, a crippling fear. And, tr- and fear can be a, a, a tricky emotion, right? Because there's healthy fear and there's unhealthy fear, right? There's godly fear and there's ungodly fear. But, 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 but Paul said there's a type of fear that God hasn't given us in 2 uh, uh, Timothy 1.7. Anytime there's a fear that tries to grip your heart and hinder you from the things of God, that's not a fear that God has given us. So God begins to breathe his courage into Joshua when he says over and over again, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, be strong and very courageous. Joshua needed this family and so do you and I. Against courage, it's not the absence of fear. It's the God-given ability to face your fears with faith in a God who's proven himself to be bigger than your fears. I'm going to say that one more time. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the God-given ability to face your fears with faith in a God who's proven himself through and through to be bigger than your fears. And so courage acknowledges the bigness of crossing the Jordan, but then it looks at the Jordan, and then it looks at God and says, but my God is bigger. (laughs) Courage acknowledges the bigness of overcoming some sinful addiction or habit you may have, but then it looks at God and says, my God is bigger. Courage acknowledges that the battles we face are too hard for us, but then we got to look at those battles and ask them the rhetorical question of Scripture, is there anything too hard for God? Amen. The Bible's cure for our crippling fear is to have a greater fear in God as we stand on his promises, not only to be with us, but to meet us on the other side when we trust him enough to take risk for his glory by crossing whatever Jordan Rivers life brings before us. Amen, somebody. This is so important, man. This is so important. So important. God is both with us now, and he promises to be with us on the other side when we trust him by faith. A few summers ago, I was at a park in my neighborhood, and uh, my, all of my kids, they were playing on this rock hill. And as they were playing on this rock hill, um, we were, I was ready to go, and so I signaled all the kids to come down, but I noticed that my son Joshua, he stayed on top uh, of the rock hill. And I said, Joshua, all right, it's time to go. You got to come on down. Um, but Joshua looked at me with this look in his eyes like, Daddy, no, I'm not coming down off the hill. <laughs> and, so, and so I kind of signaled to him, come on. He's like, no. And then I looked at him, and I realized my son was petrified. He was afraid. And suddenly I realized I needed to change my approach. And so I positioned myself on the bottom of the rock hill. And I put my arms like this and I signaled to Josh. I said, Josh, jump, just jump. Daddy promises he's going to be here to catch you. Josh, jump, just jump. I I promise that he's going to be here to catch you. And and, and slowly but surely, Josh began to inch his way to the edge of the rock wall. And it it seemed like the more and more he listened to his daddy's words, the more and more he gained the courage and confidence to actually take a leap. And then suddenly, in an act of faith, Josh leaped off the rock wall. And just as promised, his daddy's hands were there to catch him. Can I talk to somebody here today? God might be saying to you to jump, just jump. Jump, just jump. He says, I promise I'll be there to catch you when you get on the other side of this thing. I know you feel like you're, you're, you're too old and your, good, your best days are behind you, but God says, jump, just jump. I promise I'll be there to catch you. I know you feel like you're, you're, you're too young, right, to do whatever ministry God has placed on your heart and all your leaders are encouraged, but God says, I promise you, jump, just jump. I promise you, I'll be there to catch you when you get to the other side. 
That's so important, family, because that's who Daddy God is to us, family. He promises to catch us on the other side. I'm, I'm reminded of a word from, from a pastor who said this. He says, um, what we fear the most reveals where we trust the Father least. What we fear the most reveals where we trust the Father. My fa- family, what are you afraid of? It's important for you to name that. Because in naming that, you'll be able to acknowledge that which is hindering you from trusting a father who's proven himself to be trustworthy to you. The father is saying, you can trust me to keep my promises. I know you think that I won't be there for you, but if you just jump and trust me, I'll be there for you. So the frustrators of courage are control and uh, Crippling fears. I want to talk about the focus of courage real quick, though. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was, was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Here we see that the focus of courage is the confident assurance we find in the promises of God. God assures Joshua that just as he was with Moses, he will be with him. Not only will he be there to meet him on the other side of the Jordan, he's also with him on this side of the Jordan. Don't miss it. He's telling Joshua, and by extension us, I don't just promise to be with you in the later, I promise to be with you in the here and now. In other words, the focus of our courage must be rooted in God's promise to always be present with us. Listen, there is something about God's promise to be with us that encourages and emboldens us, doesn't it? He says, Joshua, not only will I meet you on the other side of this thing, I'm with you right now, even in the midst of this thing. See, it's God's promise to always be present that breathes courage back into the hearts of his children. And this promise is not limited to Joshua. It applied to other, many other Old Testament saints who, who had their unique cross the Jordan River experience, even into the New Testament. He was with Moses when he stood before Pharaoh. He was with Rahab when she protected the spies and then he protected her. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. He was with the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. He was with Hannah when she prayed for a baby boy. He was with Esther when she stood in the gap for her people. He was with young Joseph and Mary in an unexpected teenage pregnancy. He was with Paul and Silas when, he, when they prayed at midnight. And at the cross, the father turned his back on Jesus, his only begotten son, so that we could have the confidence of knowing he would never turn his back on us. In other words, at the cross, the Father left Jesus hanging out there, brothers and sisters, to ensure you that he would never leave you hanging out there. That's the God that we serve. My Bible says when you need help, he is a very present help in the time of trouble. When you need strength, he will be there to strengthen you and uphold you by his victorious right hand. When you feel brokenhearted and, and crushed in spirit, Psalms 34:18 says he is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He was with Abraham. He he was with Moses. He was was with Joshua. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, he is with you. If you are a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, God is with you. Are you aware of his nearness today? Because it's the nearness of God's presence with us that actually gives us the the advantage in life as we cross over for his goal. It's the nearness of his presence that gives us the advantage. I'm an avid baseball fan. Anybody like baseball in here? Three people, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> amen. Uh, and in 2001, the Little League World Series, there was a team from the Bronx with a 12-year-old pitcher that just dominated the game. Name was Danny Almonte. Some of y'all might remember him. Dude was a beast, untouchable, threw like a 70-mile-an-hour fastball, equivalent to a 90-something major league fastball. They said in the tournament he faced 72 batters, struck out 62 of them. I mean, he was a phenom. And, and, and they were saying he was the best 12-year-old to ever play um, in Little League. That is until a few weeks afterwards. <laughs> See, it was later discovered that Danny Almonte wasn't 12 years old like all the other kids. He was actually 14. <laughs> Apparently, one of his coaches cheated by doctoring his birth certificate so his Bronx team had to forfeit all their games. In other words, 
the Little League organization concluded that, the, that the, his team only got the victory because Danny's overwhelming presence gave them an unfair advantage on the field of play. <laughs> now, I want to say this in the most redemptive way possible. To quote Dr. Brian Loritz, can I remind somebody today that having God's presence with you is your cheat code as a Christian? In other words, if somebody were to ask you how you overcome that difficult obstacle, your answer ought to, ought to be God's presence gave me the unfair advantage. If somebody were to ask you how did you bounce back from depression when you, when you lost your job and things got difficult, your answer ought to be God's presence gave me the unfair advantage. If someone were to ask you how did you cross over from gangbanger to, to gospel preacher, I would say God's presence gave me the unfair advantage. If someone were to ask you how did you cross over from bitter to blessed in Jesus, you ought to say God's presence gave me the unfair advantage. If someone were to ask you how did you cross over from dead in your sins and trespasses, alienated from the promises of God, your answer as a Christian ought to be, I only crossed over because God's presence through Jesus Christ gave me an unfair advantage. <laughs> to be a Christian is to have God on your side, and so you always have the unfair advantage. Amen, somebody. Listen, I want to encourage you, family. God is with you. You have the unfair advantage. Singles, you're not alone. Married folk, you're not alone. You're not alone in your parenting. You're not alone in your empty nest season. You're not alone in that dorm room. You're not alone in that classroom, that, that cubicle, that, that office, that business startup in your depression. May God's promise to be close give you encouragement in your heart today as he breathes courage back into you. Because God's promise to be close to his children breathes courage back into the hearts of his children. So we talked about the frustrations of courage, the focus of courage. I want to take it home here on the foundation of courage. Verse 7 through 8. It says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law, I love this, shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, for then... You your way will be made prosperous, and then you will have good success. So after addressing some of the idols that could have frustrated Joshua's courage, and after reminding Joshua that his promise to be present is the focus of his courage, now God commands Joshua, right, not, now he commands Joshua not to forget the true foundation of the believer's courage. He basically says this, crossing over into the promise, pro cross, crossing over into promise requires a closeness to my precepts. Don't miss that. Joshua, don't get cute on me, God is saying, essentially. I'm gifting you and my people the victory, but the only way for you to unwrap it is to follow my voice. In other words, Joshua, as you cross over into this place of both blessing and battle, know this, you can't win the battle without obedience to the God of your Bible. God says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. This word meditate brings to mind the way cows moan and, and mutter over a meal. They will chew it up over and over and over again to get all the nutrients out of it. This is the type of foundational relationship God is calling each of us to have with this word. And Joshua, and by extension, us, family. He wants us to, to meditate on it, to memorize it, to, to repeat it, to, to recite it over and over again as the Spirit of God empowers us to obey the word of God. You know why? Because as one writer put it, what digestion is, for, what, 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 what digestion is to the body, meditation is for the soul. <laughs> And far too many of us are suffering from what Steve Farrar in his book, Point Man, calls spiritual bulimia. We chew on God's word enough to taste it, but not to get the nutrients so that we are transformed by it. In other words, some of us read only to regurgitate or, or wax eloquent rather than to retain and apply God's word to our lives with the Spirit's help. 
So God tells Joshua, meditate. In other words, don't just have a casual relationship with my word. You need to have a committed relationship with my word, Joshua. This is not a worldly, mindless meditation. This is word-soaked and mindful meditation. Amen, somebody? Because a desire, here's why this is important, family. Because a desire to courageously claim the blessings of God without a desire to be obedient to the word of God is a slap in the face of God. I'm going to say that again. A desire to courageously claim the blessings of God without a desire to be obedient to the word of God is a slap in the face of God. And God is reminding Joshua and by extension us of the importance of obedience in every season of life, but particularly in the crossover season. So far in our text, God has been breathing courage into Joshua to lead this public crossing, but the foundation for a public crossing ministry must be what Dr. Shannon Mason calls a private meditation ministry. He says, meditate on God's word day and night, echoing the words of the psalmist who said, the planted believer is one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. I love that day and night phrase really quickly. Uh, In other words, both David and Joshua remind us that when God gives you a crossover mission, you can no longer afford to just skim over the scriptures in your devotional life. (laughs) You, You can't. Here's why. Because the courage you need in the crossover season may require more than one meal a day to keep the discouragement away. The courage you need in the crossover season may require more than one meal a day to even keep the discouragement of the devil away. This is why Jesus kept a steady diet of the scriptures in Matthew chapter 4, which helped him get the victory over the enemy in uh, in Matthew chapter 4. Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, even Jesus reminds us that knowing, applying, and obeying God's word is the foundation for courage to win the war against the enemy. Here's what I want you to see. Before courage can be publicly celebrated in the world, it must be privately cultivated in God's word. Before it can be publicly celebrated in the world, it must be privately cultivated in God's word. And this is so important, man. You know, in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about how the sword of the spirit, how the word of God is the sword of the spirit by which we fight off the fiery darts of the enemies. And here's my fear. Far too many Christians live as victims in the land of Moab rather than victors in the land of promise because we don't know God's voice through his word. Our victory is in his voice. The wind will always be according to his word, not the world's standards. Amen, somebody. And don't let this world dupe you into believing that the Bible is some outdated, antiquated, and dead book with no real relevance for our lives. No, it's alive. It's active. It still cuts. And no matter what the world says, the word still works. The word of God is living and active, sharper sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and attentions of the all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God would be complete, equipped for every good work, including the good work of having to cross whatever Jordan River God place, life, life comes your way. Amen, family. So let me just close because I know I'm, I'm before my time. You know, um, I want to close in this way. You know, in John chapter 1, 14, tells us that Jesus is the living word of God. And he is our ultimate Joshua. He's the living word who had the courage to cross over from the comforts of heaven into this chaotic world. He crossed over when he courageously lived a life we could not live. He crossed over when he courageously set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing what was awaiting him there. He knew that being beaten and bloody was a part of his Jordan River experience, but he did it anyway. He knew a crown of thorns was a part of his Jordan River experience, but he took it on anyway. He knew that for us to receive the Father, his Jordan River meant he had to be rejected by the Father. See, Joshua's name is actually translated Yeshua, which means Jesus in the Hebrew. And the greatest Jordan River anyone will ever have to cross is the cross of Calvary, family. 
That's the greatest Jordan River. And that's who we look to. We look to Jesus. You know why? Because there is no cross of Calvary if Jesus doesn't have courage. The greatest display of courage ever was at the cross of Calvary. So if you're lacking courage, if you're looking for some inspiration, some encouragement, I I ask you to consider Jesus, the ultimate model of courage, our ultimate Joshua, the one who can give you strength to cross over whatever Jordan you face and to overcome any obstacle because he promises to be present with you. Be encouraged, family, because God's presence with you gives you the unfair advantage. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your word. I ask, dear God, that you would use your word to encourage your people. I don't know what Jordan Rivers they have to cross today, but, but I pray that they would know that Jesus is with them if they're a believer in Jesus. And I pray that they would know that they have the strength in him to face whatever they need to face for your glory and the good of others. Strengthen them for your name's sake and your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.